0: Today, my guest is Nathan Maingard. He was born at home to a writer and a craftsman in a tiny cottage on the tip of Africa. And he was raised barefoot and naked, which we get into in this conversation. As a highly sensitive person formed by the sounds of wild ocean and musical poets, he was nearly crushed by the limiting boxes society pushed him into. Through his inner healing journey of finding his enoughness, He has grown into an empowering wordsmith, healing facilitator, and transformational guide. His gift is to support down-to-earth seekers and free people as they feel, heal, and grow. You may have heard Nathan through his podcast, We Are Already Free, or through his spoken word poem, We Are Already Free, which he's going to share at the very end of this episode, so make sure you listen to the very end. In this conversation, we get into what brought us together, ancestral lineage, and choosing to heal it for everybody in your family, overcoming the lineage of violence, the beauty that came out of Nathan's parents' divorce, his experience with family constellation therapy, how he overcame an addiction to hard drugs, some of the healing modalities and plant medicines Nathan has worked with. Finding the Balance of Feminine and Masculine, and the Polarizing shares on social media and a spoken word piece that went viral, and Nathan also shares how he is exploring a calling to pivot away from his music career, and gives us a glimpse into some of his really powerful combo and psilocybin experiences. I'm very excited to introduce Nathan to you, I've been really enjoying my conversations with him He recently interviewed me on his podcast. We are already free and that will be coming out soon. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. Enjoy this conversation with Nathan Maingard. Two weeks ago, I was in the opposite role. Nathan, you were interviewing me and now we're here and I am so giddy and so excited. And I am going to start by sharing the story of, how we met. Because what happened is you listened to one of my podcast episodes, and I would like to know in a minute how you were led to it, because I'm always interested in how the whole web of these connections works and where we need to say yes to be led to where we are now. Mm. And you sent me a voice message on Instagram that was, I felt so much presence and generosity and purity and love in it. It was just, it was interesting. As I was listening to it, my brain was like, okay, what's the ask? Because I'm so (laughs) used to somebody will send like the most amazing thing. And then in the end, it's like, can I be on your podcast? Or will you be on my podcast? Or can I have a session with you? Something like this. And it wasn't that at all. It just ended at thank you. And I was so moved by that. And I could really, I felt like I could feel your heart in it. And Denny invited me to be on your podcast, and we had a blast. Your podcast is We Are Already Free, if anybody wants to find that and be on the lookout for our conversation there. When we stopped recording, the conversation just kept flowing, and there was so much more to explore, and I was intuitively guided to have you back on here for part two, so here we are, or part zero, not sure, doesn't really matter.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. I have a full body goosebumps right now, so definitely feeling feeling good vibes and just really appreciate that reflection. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I knew that I would love to have you on my podcast when I sent you that voice note, but I, I, I wasn't in that moment. I mean, I just, I think because I listened to a few back to back and it was just like, I just felt that strong energy and I just thought, geez, I just really wanted to know how this, how this is landing for me.
0: Do you remember how you were led to my podcast?
1: I actually don't remember the exact way I first found you. I feel like what's coming up is that I was searching for something online, something around either social media or spirituality or consciousness. And a big thing for me has been and actually kind of continues to be using these platforms, this social media, as a way to connect and also acknowledging it for myself. it's It, is, it continues to be a massively addictive challenge like finding the balance between using it well and just sinking time and attention into it and actually had a vision in one of my uh, journey with mother ayahuasca where I was shown people staring at screens at, at phones at tablets at um, computers and and I was shown how by by staring into the screen obviously where the attention goes so reality goes and so it was like people were feeding their consciousness into these machines and then it showed me it's like the eventual outcome of this is that everyone's going to want to upload themselves into the machine and I- achieve immortality that way and reincarnation that way and then the medicine was like but that's already how it, life works organically so so and it's not controlled top down by like someone who owns the company i mean it was really that clear it said like you are in an organic upload and download Infinite existence. So, why not just do it organically? And so, that's very much on my mind and in my heart a lot of the time. And so, as I'm stepping more into power and more into service and more into offerings through the internet and into the world, I'm trying to do that or well, I'm practicing doing that in the most responsible way possible. And I feel like I was searching for that kind of information when I first came across you.
0: Yeah, I do happen to dominate some of the conscious social media and conscious social media. Uh, tips, challenge, things like that, searches. <laughs> I love SEO and I, I think it's such a fun way to play with, okay, I have this these messages that I've downloaded and through my own experience mostly and through my sessions with other people. That's when a lot of it comes through of how to interact with it in a way that can be expansive every step of the way, interact with social media. Yeah. And when I think about sharing it, I feel like it's my responsibility to get it out there to as many people as possible. And so that's where SEO comes in. I love going in the back end and optimizing and making sure people who are searching for this can find it. And I love hearing the stories of how they do and what they type in and how that day they woke up and typically they didn't search it in this way, but that morning, those are the words that dropped in and they were led exactly to my site. So mm. that's really cool. And it's so beautiful. Of course, you're a Smith, but the way that you described the vision that you saw with Ayahuasca, I am tuning into is it's so easy to give away our power when we think about social media and kind of blame it on the big tech that they want something from us. But in reality, most of the time, we're the ones who are choosing to feed our attention to that. And when we think about the finite time that we have every day to create and to consume and how much of it goes to consumption and then subconsciously that becomes the soup of our life's creations mm. those are all conscious choices i mean a lot of times we're unconscious when we're making them but they could be conscious and mm. i love that exploration
1: oh yeah me too i one of the things i'm wrestling with and i'd love to actually hear your thoughts on this is the having watched things like i think it's called the social dilemma and read there's a um, I forget his name now, but an author who wrote a book called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Right Now. Uh, and he- Let's just say that didn't
0: work because you still have social media.
1: <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work. I did read the whole book, but it didn't work. And uh, and the, the, the thing that I kind of worries me is that I still have a monkey brain and I th- th- they're designed like literally- neuroscientists and psychologists are working getting paid a lot of money to make these applications and these platforms as absolutely addictive to my monkey brain as possible and I have tried you know block app blocking apps that block out certain things at certain times and all these different methods to to calm down the dopamine and I think the thing that's starting to make a difference now is things like ice baths uh, particularly ice baths cold immersion is helping me to to learn more about dopamine in, my, in an, from an experiential standpoint. And I still am aware that that my eye as, as a monkey mind having being is I'm constantly wrestling with a, a multi-billion dollar industry that is just wants more and more and more of my attention. And uh, yeah, mm. that, I wrestle with that. And on the other side, love everything that so much about, I mean, we're connected through social media. I'm so grateful for that.
0: What I'm hearing is you're trying to fight the system with its own methods so they have a scientific approach to hacking your brain and having you spend more time on the apps and then you're trying to hack that back but you have less resources than those billion dollar companies so most of the times you're probably not going to succeed so i would say what comes to heart is drop into the heart number one and, or drop into the body number two or into both with ice baths you're dropping into the body And drop into your heart. One thing that I do that has worked better than any kind of techie hacky things is before I pick up my phone to scroll or to check something on social media, I drop into my heart and ask myself, okay, am I meant to do this? Is this in my highest good right now? Is this how I actually want to spend my time and my energy right now? And when I do take that extra breath, it makes all the difference.
1: Mm. I love that. That is, I haven't actually tried that and I'm going to try that because that sounds exactly aligned with with the kind of outcomes i'm looking for and the experience that i'm looking for and I, one of the things i have done recently that's been very helpful is prioritizing more in-person experiences so i set an intention some time ago in a coaching session saying you know i really i love working with my clients online i i adore the people i work with wherever they are in the world and it's just so great and I need more in-person interaction. So I'm setting the intention. And then pretty soon after, as I've discovered, intention and action are like the perfect bedmates. And so I set that intention and then I felt this call to like, I should start a a circle where where I just get people to my house and come do breathwork and ice bath on my deck. And I started doing that and pretty soon... That was happening really regularly, and I was hanging out with people in person, and looking into people's eyes in person, and having these beautiful experiences. And now I'm getting more one-to-one clients in person, and so that's really supplementing and complementing the online work, and it's 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 uh, resourcing me in a way that is allowing me to to kind of flow between those states more easily.
0: Mm. Yeah, same. That was one of my big words in 2022 was community. And that's Mm. one of the big reasons why we moved from a tiny cabin in a town of 108 people to Austin, Texas, because I can go to a drum circle on a whim. I can go to a dance class. I can go to a movie theater. I can meet a friend at my favorite ice cream shop or coffee shop. And it really makes a difference to be able to just be together Mm. without kind of digital constraints. I really appreciate that. So I want to rewind In your bio, and I didn't know this about you until I read your bio. It said that you grew up naked, naked and free. Is that what it said? (laughs) It said naked and barefoot, (laughs) (laughs) naked and barefoot, in a tiny cottage in South Africa, as essentially a wild child. So, how was that? And at what point did you get familiar with the the other world? out there, the world of technology and social media and schooling and government systems, because you're somebody who is able to capture that freedom. Your whole podcast is about capturing that freedom that it seems like you experienced as a child. So tell us a little bit about what was it like growing up?
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you, that's a great question. I feel like so many avenues opening up potential directions. The zipper is open in all directions. Um, Sorry, that's, I just chatted with a guy, Scott Carney on my podcast and he, we were talking about infinite timelines and we like the idea of that everything that ever could happen did happen somewhere and you know he's like I actually don't think that he said I think it's like a zipper and when the zipper is unzipped you can go there's all these directional options but once it zips closed that is what happened that's what's happening and the, the present moment is where the zipper closes like we're always at that moment of the decision anyway and I just love the image I, and I don't know why I said it now but it the zipper of infinite timelines is what do I speak about first so okay starting Scarborough Scarborough is a little village not so little anymore but still just one of the most beautiful places i've ever seen in my life and my parents you know when my dad moved there it had no running water no electricity i think there was one telephone for the whole village and he moved there as to get away from all the societal stuff and then my mom uh, came in and they came in together and And decided that that was where they wanted to to start a family. And I was born in a little cottage on the floor. And they purchased the property, two properties behind that cottage they were renting. And then when I was a tiny little baby, they built the house that I spent the first sort of 20 years of my life in. And so I really... Like when I was a kid, we could go anywhere we wanted in the village. And there were so few cars at that time, the tourist industry hasn't hadn't kicked off yet. So Cape Point Nature Reserve, which is kind of at the tip of this little, um, the tip of Africa, which is where, where, where I lived, um, Cape Point Nature Reserve wasn't even a tourist attraction then. It was nothing. So, so we had a few cars a day would drive through the village. It was really mellow. And so I could go anywhere I wanted in the village and I would just hear my dad's whistle If he needed me home, you know, from wherever I was, he had a really loud whistle in it. And is is it a
0: special whistle?
1: um, Yeah, I I couldn't do it now, but it it has a um, that little sound up, down, but like super loud. (laughs) And uh, so I would know it was him. And I mean, I think some of the, you know, like when did reality hit or like the tech, the world out there, I think. It was already hitting when I was a kid. My both my parents do a deeply traumatized bit people through their own journeys. Uh, my mom, just yeah, both of them had their stuff, and it's all it's all relative. So I, I've learned over the years. I, I used to judge it a Well, I haven't been through stuff other people have, so who am I to complain or who's? But actually, it's all relative. We all get what we get, and it's hard for 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 everyone in in some ways. And and so my childhood was both like. Really beautiful and free, and also I was scared a lot of the time. I spent a lot of my childhood in in pretty abject fear and and I found refuge in words. I found refuge in I remember you know listening to music and reading. I read from a very young age and I remember listening to songs like uh, Cat Stevens, sad Lisa when i was like i must have been 7 or 8 years old i was i remember how i was so small i was like the same height as the speakers on the on the counter next to me and and the words in his song he says her eyes are like windows trickling rain upon her pain getting deeper and I remember being this little kid, just being like, what? He's talking about rain and tears and the window mm-hmm. pane, which is also the pain she's feeling, which is also her eyes that are trickling, the tears that is also the rain. And I was just like, oh, "What? what is happening inside of my head right now? Like, And that just started me on this lifelong love of, of lyricism and of the power of words to create images. And so that really carried me through. And then I think the big the big wake-up call if as it were was uh, was going to school was what we call government schools here which I think you call public schools so um, I don't, it was brutal for me and it remained brutal throughout my schooling I just I just, I got so bullied because I was so open and so excited to connect authentically. And that was just not, you know, like the cool kid, the, the rugby playing kids, the sporty kids, that this, like I was in the little crew of outcasts, the foreigners and the religious folk was like the, those who were a bit too weird to fit into any of the big boxes. Uh, that was me. And I used to get really bad headaches every day at school. And, you know, I'm pretty sure those were psychosomatic and just me trying to get out of this horrible situation. And, and it kind of, in a way, I don't know if the the word that comes up is one, like that consciousness, I really took it in at some point and went, I must be the one who's wrong. There's some, there's definitely something wrong with me because everyone else out there, the teachers, the, the school, the, the whole structures don't fit how I feel. So I must be mistaken. I must be the one who's diseased, and I tried so hard. And then my parents started getting divorced, and that went with like the worst possible battle of divorce you could imagine, like as bad as it gets. And and so I just kept kind of pushing myself more and more into this box of if I and and I found these identities I thought could work for me. One was being a player. So like I thought if I can become very skillful with women and be good at seducing women, and because I'm a lyricist and because I'm uh, sort of poetic and and charming that I was good at it. And I was like, oh, this is something I'm good at. Like, I feel good about this and I'm in control. I have power. But also my mom had abandoned me. She had left for nine months during the doors, just disappeared. And so I know now looking back, that I was trying to be safe. I was like, anytime I felt like I might give my power away to a woman, I was like, okay, I need to be the one in control. Let me let me control the situation and i just squashed my feelings smaller and smaller and numbed myself out until i really couldn't feel much at all um, but through it all there was still this sensitivity this thread of truth that kept coming even when i started writing songs at sort of 14 15 songs like live life while you can and you know these beautiful attempts at at speaking truth while i was just destroying myself and 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 yeah and and i you know, I got into surfing. at a little surfing town, like on the coast, beautiful waves. Uh, that was amazing. That was my church for many years. And and then I got into hard drugs. I got into speed, which uh, is like methamphetamine, but not clean stuff. Like, and I don't, I don't recommend that to anyone at all. I think it's one of the most dangerous drugs around. But I got into it for a while, and it just hammered my nervous system and hammered my uh, metabolic system and my It just all went haywire and I really spun, spun out. And it was only in my sort of early to mid-20s when things got too painful, where I couldn't keep numbing. And I just started feeling the, I started getting, I'm just going all the way deep in terms of vulnerability here. But like I started experiencing um, like, I don't even, the, the term isn't accurate, but I'll say the term is erectile dysfunction. And it wasn't dysfunction. It was my body very clearly saying, "I don't feel safe. What are we doing? This is insane!" And uh, so I was having these these intense experiences of like be, feeling like this virile young man, and yet I would kind of hook up with this new woman, and I would just be like, "Oh God, I'm I can't perform. Like I can't do the thing that makes me feel like I'm okay in the world. Shit, what's wrong with me?" And uh, and it all kind of led up to to a Vipassana experience, a, t- a 10 day Vipassana, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this big thing. And I, and actually over the period of very few months I sat for ayahuasca for the first time. I sat for combo for the first time. This is 2009, 2000 end of 2009, beginning 2010. And it all just came to me. Like it was just ayahuasca combo um, Vipassana uh, on my like 25th birthday or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but I sat for pasana and it, broke me. Like I, my first four days was just full action replays of every sexual encounter I'd had and not in a good way, like in the most like confronting, like, what are you doing? anyway, I'll, I'll stop there, but that's kind of the, it was this mix again. So back to growing up, it was this mix of nature and barefoot and surfing and the beauty. And then the broken trauma of disconnected, a mother who was emotionally completely unavailable, a father who was enraged and who was such a short tempered man. And, and so it was all these pieces and the things that brought me the most joy, which was going on surf trips with my dad and with my friends and listening to sublime and smoking weed and going on, like surfing with the sunrise and just being in nature having fun I walked away from all of that as soon as I could I walked into technology and I got really good on computers and tech and social media and and uh, and I kind of I just isolated myself in many ways and and yeah that's kind of that's that's a very broad and mixed uh, insight into some of the stuff that has made me who I am today
0: Mm, thank you so much for sharing. I've been jotting down some of the threads to explore deeper. And one of them is you mentioned that growing up there was a fear. You were always scared. Do you remember what that fear was?
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember elements of it. So part of it was my dad. So his my the male lineage is one on in my family of violence. And my father was himself brutally beaten by his father um, multiple times as a young person to the point of hospitalization. And uh, and interestingly enough, he manifested a terrible motorcycle accident when he was like 17 years old. He went in through the side window of someone's car and shattered part of his upper spine and his shoulder. And they, you know, he was in a coma for a month. They thought he was going to die. And... And I'll tell you that because many years later in his fifties, I think he had an operation on his neck or his sixties, even he had an operation on his neck. And they afterwards they said to him, you know, have you been a very angry man? Have you been very short to, to tempt to, to anger? Because your nerve sheath that runs down your spinal column was basically flattened by the bone that was sticking into it for all these years. And I just found that so amazing that, that, that unexpressed anger that he had taken on from his own dad and his own dad, the stories I've heard of what my, gr- my great-grandfather did to my grandfather in terms of violence and rage, horrific stuff. And so that lineage that carried down was manifesting for my dad physically. So he actually, for his whole life, had this crushed nerve in his spine. And I say this, my dad lived in an ashram for a year in his 20s in India, you know, that was in the 70s, like before that was that much of a thing. And he really did a lot to to work through his stuff. And yet, he carried this pain and this anger. So I, I was just terrified of my dad. I was so scared of making mistakes. He was so, he was beautiful and amazing and still is. He's a wonderful man. And, and he's done so much work since. And when I was a kid, I felt like I was always trading on thin ice. Like there's just, if I, and the way my parents chose to, I I think now I realize they chose, the the way they chose to keep themselves safe, to keep their own nervous systems in check was that if I got out of control, if I was crying for a reason they didn't think was a good reason, or if I was upset or angry, the the thing was, Nathan, if you don't stop crying, we'll give you something to cry about. Or if you do that one more time, we're going to hit you. And that was their way of keeping themselves safe because they couldn't handle me learning how to navigate having a nervous system. How to like having my time. The first time I had a temper tantrum was at about 26 or 27 years old lying on the floor in a breathwork session and I just fucking had a tantrum and it felt amazing I was like whoa that's what a tantrum feels like just flailing everything and just wailing and just oh I'm so fucking frustrated it felt epic and so so that fear as a child was and then my mom also was just very unavailable she was very up and down very like loving and there and then completely absent and I never knew what I had done or what I could do or how it was so it was all of that it was just a massive amount of instability from my caretakers where I never could feel safe because it never felt like they really had it (laughs) like they really like I could let go because they had it it was like no I have to hold on because they don't have it um, together so so I think that was a big part of the fear initially
0: how does it feel to be the lineage carrier for both your ancestral lines and to be writing a new story for your family
1: I'm honored. Yeah, I feel honored. It's so hard. It's just like I love my parents so much and I think they did their best. I know they did their best and I know there's been so much pain. And I, you know, the intention I set often for when I'm talking to my ancestors is like, please use me so that we can be well, so that you can be well. Like help, let me be the person. If I love that saying, you know, trauma travels through the lineage until someone is brave enough to feel it. And I'm just doing my best to be brave enough to feel it.
0: Yeah, goosebumps. So you went to a government school and your parents seem to live such an alternative life in so many different areas. Do you know what the thinking was behind the decision to send you to a public school?
1: I don't know initially, but I know they tried to facilitate a better way for me and that I actually chose differently. So it's a really interesting question because when I was about seven years old, I think they sent me to a Waldorf Steiner school, which is a whole different mode of education. And, and I was there for a year and I didn't like it at all. I was like, I don't, I want to go, I want to leave the school. And then they did, they tried homeschooling for another year. And then they began their divorce and that was kind of the moment. I remember it clearly when they came to us and said, guys, you know, we love you. This has nothing to do with you. We are going to be getting a divorce. We're going to be divorcing. And I went to them a few days later and I was, I think I was nine or 10 years old at the time. And I said, you know, mom, Papa, I want to go back to school. Cause I just don't want you guys to have to worry about me. And I went, then I went to a government school and then another government school. And then I, and then I went back to Waldorf, actually, because my best friend at the time, was we were in, in the government school together and he decided to go to that same Waldorf. And I was like, cool, well, then I'm going. And that was probably the best. And I'm so grateful that my dad at that time, because my mom was kind of, it was all chaos at that point. But he facilitated that. He made it happen. He, he got the money from the, he like got it all together and it's not a cheap school and he made it happen. And that, I think that saved my life. I felt like after two weeks of being there, I was naughtier than I'd ever been, but I was also my more myself than I'd ever been, and I met friends there who just yeah, it just was a whole different kettle of fish and i and I stayed at that school till the end, so super grateful for for that shift but I think the government school experiences, which was the two years komiki School Fisher school, and before that Simonstown school, so it was only probably three or four years in my early youth that I was at those kind of schools. And it, but it left a, it left a hell of a mark. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Are you able to have these kinds of conversations with your parents now? Because what I find in my (laughs) experiences, I'll give you a funny story. Um, (laughs) uh, My mom thinks that I am very imaginative about my childhood And I'll admit myself that I sometimes confuse dreams and reality, some repetitive dreams about my childhood. Like there's this one of being in a pool and eating rainbow ice cream in Canberra where I grew up. And I really don't know if that was a dream or reality. And I've had that repetitive dream. So it's like embedded in my system enough and I can taste the ice cream. I think the ice cream was actually real, that kind of ice cream. Mm. I can taste it in my mouth. But there's some things that my mom says you're definitely making this up. And we have like an ongoing at this point we can joke about it because there was an actual experience of me going to a month long camp that my parents both denied that I went to, and that was before cameras. So I had no way to prove, but I kept telling them like specific stories of the people I met there and the boy I was in love with, of course, and like who my roommates (laughs) were and who the camp uh, counselors were. And at some point, like days later, they came up to me and said, you know what? I think I'm remembering we were, we were doing this and we sent you to camp anyway. But what I'm starting to realize is that sometimes my parents have no space to acknowledge some of my wounds from childhood because they don't give that permission to themselves. Hmm. So what I've been doing and, you know, guided by spirit is reversing the roles because I have had the guidance and courage to look at my trauma. I now feel like I have it in me to be able to hold space for theirs. We just got disconnected. I just believe that when that happens, the energy gets too intense and there's a time to reset, take a breath. Back to the body, back to the heart. You know, it's interesting that that's when we got disconnected because I have been very careful with what I share on the podcast because I'm like what if my parents listen and mm. they get like traumatized by what I say about them but my mentor the other day just invited me to stop trying to be polite on the podcast and just speak the truth so i'm committed to speaking the truth and if they listen to it it's meant to be and so be it and th- they have the capacity to to feel it and hear it and receive it so what i was sharing is that on this latest trip i just took with my parents that i shared about on the podcast, the Turkey, I had a conversation with my mom where I discovered that there's been a passed down trauma in our sacral chakra. She's been going to an osteopathic doctor and he said that she was dropped as an infant and that's why she has different spine issues and back pain Mm -hmm. issues. And she literally has like a little, like the bone on her sacrum kind of stands out like a little tail. And when she spoke to her mom, her mom said, absolutely not. There's no way. So there's a bit of gaslighting that way. And then she brought it to me and I said, well, of course, that makes total sense. And when I was an infant, I was two weeks old. I had an infection in that same exact spot. And when I was two weeks old, she had to bring me to the hospital, check me in, watch me be put in these like Soviet sheets wrapped around, check me in and not see me for a couple of weeks until they were me, they were just like stuffed in a room with a bunch of other f- crying infants. Mm. And so unraveling that and hearing her say what she said and that discovery and choosing to consciously not pass that on to my child. I felt like that was such an important piece before, before I bring a human into this life with my husband And I'm curious, you know, you have so much awareness around the different patterns you've had and what you've taken away from your parents and the different things they've passed on to you and things you're meant to release in this lifetime for the whole lineage. Are you able to have these conversations with them? How does that go? Are they on their own healing journeys?
1: Well, thank you, first of all, for sharing your truth, for sharing truth. I think that just... That works for me. <laughs> it's <laughs> one of my favorite. I just think it's such a good, it's a, it's a good practice, and I feel like our society is, doesn't do that. So that's – anyway, thank you. I just appreciate that. Um, regarding my parents, yes, both of them have done massive work on themselves and continue to do so, and I've had these kind of conversations with them many times. And a part of it is – Accepting for me that they're never going to kind of get all of it, and I'm thinking of something around my dad at this point it's come up a lot over the years around violence and he's you know he's done a counseling course he's he's very he's practicing nonviolent communication he's very well studied in these beautiful areas and yet when I ask him like do you still think that hitting a kid is a good way to to sort of, um, what's the word, keep them in line or or, or, or teach them. It's still kind of like, yeah, you know, it's like, he's like, wait till you have a kid, then you'll see. It's like, yeah, I will see. And I'm sure it's going to be beyond hard, like beyond anything I can imagine. And I still think we can talk about how hitting a kid is just like so fucked up. Like it, it's not the right thing. And, and I also don't want to, you know, he's so he's done so much work and he's, he's 73 and I love him. I love hanging out with him. He's a great dude to hang out with. And he also doesn't own some of the stuff that is his to own. I think in from my perspective, this is, and again, I'm not saying this from a place of judgment. I honor him and I honor his journey. And that's been a, an important piece for me. It came up in a family constellation some years ago where, the question was like, "Do you judge your ancestors? Do you judge your grandfather for hitting your dad? Do you judge, you know, did it?" I was like, "Yeah," and, and I really had to get this turnaround of like, "You don't know what it was like to be in their position, and their position enabled you to exist in this moment. So maybe be a little more humble, like, and give thanks." I was like, "Ooh, fuck, yeah, that's a really good point." <laughs> um, and and since then, it's been a, I've been practicing more of that sort of humility and gratitude. You know, I know I know you did the best you could all my ancestors. And I give thanks to you for that because it's enabled me and I don't know what you went through. And so thank you. And let's move forward. And I, I think one of the pieces that is difficult for me around my parents is that in the family dynamic, because my mom was the one who left the, the one who, you know, got with another man and all the stories of all the things. And, you know, she did a lot of stuff that was pretty wild and out there and she lied a lot during those years, like she lied a lot. I, there were so many times where she said stuff to me that I found out was untrue to try and keep me in line. And it was terrible. It was terrible to discover those kind of things again and again. Whereas with my dad, he never really, he never lied. He was always honest in some ways, but I think there was a deeper dishonesty, which was he did want to destroy my mom in some ways, or even though he always said, no, I want you guys to be friends. I want you to get on. I don't know, but there was also this like, mm, but you know, then there were moments Actually, one moment where I had been, I was now 16 years old. I was out there adventuring, exploring my rollerblades, hitchhiking, catching trains, visiting friends, having fun. And through some series of events, I ended up at my mom's house on a Sunday afternoon. And we were actually having a conversation that was actually amicable and friendly. And she said, Do you want to stay over tonight? And I'll take you to school tomorrow morning. And I was like, wow, what an amazing. This is like what a thing that's happening between us. So I called my dad. I said, you know, Papa, I'd like to stay at Mom's. I'm here now. Is that cool? And he just said, absolutely not. Get home right now. Get home. And home was in Scarborough, which was a train ride, a taxi ride, a hitchhike, a rollerblade. Like it was a serious journey home. So I arrived home having followed his instructions because I was also scared of him and I wanted like I would never go against his word. And I arrived home and as I walked in the door, he just started shouting at me. Just like, oh, you know, I'm not just a hotel for you to use and how dare you. And I lost it and it was the first time i ever really just i shouted so loud at him and i just said I, you know i've done everything you asked and it's 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 mad like i can't remember what i said but i just i was so in righteous rage and i went to my room and 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 he and he left it and it was like the first time but but it so i guess anyway that's a bit of an aside but the the point here is that i think in some deep deep place my dad's story is still that my mom's the one who messed it up that he was, he was willing to do the work. He was willing to show up. And I remember my dad when I was a kid. He was terrifying. He was so always right. He was always the king, the, the shining light, the, the, the good one. And I remember when my mom left him, that shattered him. And he got so much softer after that. That that breaking of him, hearing him at night weeping at the piano as he was writing like lost love songs to my mom, that was the first time I really saw him actually vulnerable vulnerable in that way of just completely broken open and i think that was the greatest gift that he's ever received and i think it would be an amazing thing if he could go to my mother and say you know karen thank you for everything thank you for the whole thing and i don't think i don't know if he's ever going to get there and i think because of that there is a deep lineage between the father and the mother is a deep brokenness between the 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 archetypes of father and mother within my lineage that's showing up right now where my mom has done that she's written him letters and given him gifts at different times and yes she's mercurial and yes one day she could be like i acknowledge all the things and i am fully responsible and the next day she could just like burn you and just and she's um what's the word uh Viperous when she wants to be, she has such a sharp tongue, and she can be so cutting and my dad he doesn't feel safe with her and I'm like, dude, you think that's any different like I've had to show up and be burned and cut and sliced to pieces a fucking thousand times and yet I keep doing it because I know that it's worth it and I, and he's not he's he's like my life is good now he's got his lovely wife and his you know he's surfing and he feels good about his life and I just so it's those pieces that I, i'm wrestling between and yes i have those conversations but there's a boundary around i don't want to push it till he's like i don't know i don't I, i'm still trying to find the balance between owning the my mm. truth and witnessing and saying like papa i don't think you're in integrity here this doesn't seem an in integrity to me you say that you you, you He often says a little oh you know i miss your ma. i think she was so wonderful we had such a good time i'm like yeah so then why haven't you like Ghana made peace. He's like, oh, well, well, you know, because oh, she, you know, she's just this and that. And I'm like, yeah, bro, that's not, there's, there's something missed. You see it. There's something missing there. And we're actually in the midst of a massive rift in my family where my brother, my father, and myself have been ostracized by my by my sister Lucinda. So the the my mother, my father had three children. I'm the eldest, then my brother Josh, then my sister Lucinda. She's five years younger than me. And she hasn't spoken to, to any of the men in the family for, I don't know, over a year now. Um, and and I think that it's an energetic representation, of a physical manifestation of the energetic break between the masculine and the feminine that is in our lineage. And I don't know what the fuck to do about it. Like I'm doing my best to get right with myself. That's all that I can do. I can't force her to, to reach out and, and process and have these beautiful conversations that I would love to have. And I can't force my dad to go and really I can own his part and say thank you, Karen, for the everything that made me who I am today. And I can't I can't force any of it. So so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a pickle.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes we've got to break that zip to access different timelines. But when a person is not willing to break it and only wants to watch it through the side film, then there's really nothing we can do but hold the loving space for whenever they're ready. I know that in my experience it felt like my parents were not ready to hear much about all the healing work I've been doing with plant medicines and shamanic stuff. Maybe it was a story I had made up based on their own socioeconomic conditioning and society beliefs, but with time I remember I'm just I had an amazing mushroom experience and I came home to visit them and I'm like let me just Let me just say it and see how they react. Let me stop trying to be careful. And I said it and I felt no judgment. I felt pure Mm -hmm. curiosity and openness and trust. And so since that moment, I've really allowed myself to speak more and more of my truth and some of the things that I am into. And with time, it took years, but I'm feeling such softening like they're actually coming to me. For wisdom and intuitive advice, and my take on things. Last night, I had the most healing conversation with my dad, where he came to me for my take on something around my sister. And that had never happened before, especially as a younger daughter. I always have treaded lightly around my dad. He was, he's very gentle. And yet, I felt scared because there would be things like, You can't wear a robe to the kitchen table in the morning for breakfast. Or what are you mumbling? Speak clearly. That was one of the big things. And that really hit me. I have been scared to express my voice because I've been scared of sounding stupid or mumbling and somebody judging me for that. And now, last night, it was a really deeply healing conversation because I felt seen and heard in all the dimensions of who I am and my truth and my voice by my dad. And that felt like a piece of the puzzle came together also before we have a child, which is like a very active topic in our family right now. But I couldn't have forced it. I couldn't have said anything. I couldn't have brought him any books or anything at all. It just took me over and over showing up in the fullness of who I am, sharing my truth, sharing what I'm going through, laughing off when they say I'm making something up about my childhood and continuing to focus on who I am instead of trying to change anything they think about me or themselves or a family.
1: Ah, oh, thank you. I feel that. That's beautiful. I love that idea of in a way being the change is like, that's how I see what everything you've just said. It's just be, be that and and let that be enough. That has to be enough. It's all there is. And I introduced my dad to ice baths recently to the cold immersion. He came to visit a, oh, a few months ago now and, uh, and he was courageous, man. He got right in there and he's got a morning practice. He's solid. So he handled it really well, like at pretty cold four four degrees Celsius, which is seriously cold for a first timer. And, uh, and he got into he did beautifully and he's now bought himself a chest freezer and is turning it into an ice bath. And I'm like, fuck that's awesome like that's so good (laughs) that is
0: so cool that is so cool my dad called me a couple of nights ago he's been going on these morning walks every single day he's very active takes care of his health so well Mm. and he said daughter you have completely changed my life and he took that from me like i'm very excitable and i'll like have a dessert and then tell the whole world my life has changed and it really <laughs> has like i am so moved by the small joys
1: hmm. and
0: 10 15 years ago when i was interning at a pr agency in Beverly Hills like the height of my joy was pinkberry frozen yogurt and i was like if anybody just gives me a Pinkberry frozen yogurt, $25 gift card, my heart will be theirs forever. It, the path to my heart was so easy. It's those little joys. It doesn't have to be anything big or expensive. Well, you just need to know the specific thing I'm into. And so anyway, when I'm into something, I'm passionate about it and the world needs mm-hmm. to know about it. And so I there's this coffee alternative company that I love that I've also invested into with my husband called Rasa. And it's adaptogens that help you cultivate healthy energy without the crash they're one of the coffee alternative companies that i love i'm not exclusive with anybody just putting (laughs) that and so i introduced my dad to that and i introduced him to it over a year ago and he didn't get into it until a couple of days ago when his doctor told him you know you really need to lean off caffeine it will be a lot better for you to not drink it daily and so he tried rasa and he calls me and he says you have completely changed my life it's a completely bombastic his words no. i felt amazing i was so clear i want this to be my daily ritual i'm going to be bringing it to office so now i'm trying to figure out a way to send him more and it was so it was so sweet so it's it really moves me when our parents are open to learning from us and to experiencing life through our lens and i love envisioning your dad in his cold plunge and maybe like having his own healing circles and inviting Mm -hmm. community of people you know maybe more of his age or maybe not and having these healing moments eye to eye it's so cool Mm -hmm.
1: yeah thank you for that you've changed my life bombastic I love that there's a (laughs) you've reminded me of a story with my dad and I and I think it's important to contextualize because my dad is amazing my mom is amazing and I, and I love them. And so it's that, that's that been my journey. I was so angry with both of them for so long. And I eventually realized there's a, I'm just going to segue slightly and then come back to it. But the story of Immaculee Ilibagiza, who I'm hoping will one day be a guest on my podcast. She's a woman who went through, I think it was a R- Rwandan genocide. Uh, where her entire tribe was brutally murdered while she hid in a neighbor's bo- toilet like little bathroom space for three months with a few other people and she she literally heard the most horrific things happening outside and she had to hide there and she tells the story of how she just hated them. She hated them so much. She just hated and hated and hated. And the more she hated in the, for these three months that she was just stuck in this one space, all she was doing was just hating, the worse she felt physically. She was getting headaches and aches and she felt sick and she just and she eventually had an awakening where she realized that the hate was destroying her. And she forgave them, truly forgave them, and was released of that, relieved of the pain that she'd been carrying. And that story just stays with me so much. So so I really believe that I've gained so much since I forgave my parents. And I'm still, you know, it comes, It's none of it's like, oh, well, now I've forgiven them. So it's 100% all good. I'm still triggered all the time. And yet I come back to forgiveness because it feels so much better for me and I get to enjoy them so much more. And so, I was visiting my dad this was already a few years ago I was sitting in his little trailer that he has as a guest room I was working on my computer and he was watering the garden outside so I had the sound of the swishing water and just this feeling of the birds chirping around me in this little shaded uh, trailer I'm sitting in and just this feeling of you know just working having a good time and and he had recently separated from his partner of the, at that time and he came up to me suddenly and he just stepped in and he said Nathan he said, I'm feeling really sad. And he just started sobbing. And I just held him in my arms as he sat on the step of this trailer. And he just wept his sadness for his broken heart in that moment. And I, don't, I couldn't have done that if I was holding all the stories. Like I couldn't have done that if I was like, mm. well, he didn't do that for me when I was a kid. And, and he said to me since, he's like, you know, that was one of the most profound moments of my life. Just to be able to come to wow. you and just just collapse. And I just was like, yeah, me too, dude. Like that was epic. (laughs) And so, yeah, forgiveness is worth it. It's worth the effort and the whatever it takes for me internally to come to a place of just letting that stuff go enough that I can be present with this person who I I love so dearly and who is so imperfect, as am I, as are we all. And I think that's, yeah, anyway, that story came up. Mm,
0: It's like you fathering your father was an opportunity to also refather yourself and create this circle mm-hmm. of forgiveness and healing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. something else you mentioned that I feel called to ask about, because it keeps coming into my field, but I still don't know what that is, is family constellation. Can you say more about what that is and how that works?
1: It's not something I know a huge amount about. I have done it a or few what times. what your experience was. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So my my experience... It's, so for those who don't know, it's a way of acknowledging that our families and our relationships really are like constellations. So we all move around each other in certain ways and we carry certain energies and reflect certain things. And please, if anyone knows more about this than me, I apologize if I'm misspeaking, but this is just my experience of it. And so... In a circle and so the time that I was speaking about earlier with my grandfather that was actually just me and a facilitator so often family constellations will be a group of people and there'll be a person who is going to constellate their family dynamic and then they will either choose I think they choose people so like yeah that guy I want him to represent my father and this person my sister and this one my related and then they and then you move them around and put them in different positions and then the people start to feel things and they're like well now I feel upset. Um, I don't want to be here anymore. It's like, okay. And then we talk, speak to that. And then so there's this opportunity to allow the energetics of the family dynamics to represent in a constellation of people or a constellation, even the one I did with just the facilitator and me, I would step into these different roles and she would step into different roles and we would kind of move around each other. And she's like, oh, how do you feel now? I'm like, I just don't want to be here. I feel really awkward. And she's like, okay. So, and then that would it all fed into different pieces. And I think at one point I actually ended up kneeling and was p- sort of prostrate before my grandfather to to kind of apologize. Like I've been so judgmental and I don't know what your life was like. Like I've got all these stories from my dad that are really not great, but like you did your best and I'm sorry. And thank you. Um, like the Ho'oponopono, uh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, I love you. And uh, so, so that's been my experience of Family Constellation.
0: And then one more thing that you kind of brushed through, but I want to bring back and acknowledge is you were addicted to speed and then you got clean. How did that happen?
1: I'm going to share the story of this more fully out there in the world. I'm happy to share it here, but it it almost needs the photos because what happened was I was, how old? I was 18 years, around 18 years old. I'd been surfing solidly for a few years i was tanned i was muscular i was i was a fucking vibrant young man and we did a yearly class photo at waldorf school so this this photo of me at i think it would have been about 18 years old i think and i'm i'm wearing a rasta hat (laughs) like which i wore i think for like a year solid i just never took it off And, uh, and i was smoking a lot of weed at that time but um but I, I was this tanned, broad-shouldered young man. And in the interim, between that time and the following years it, I got into speed and I never got into it in the way that, you know, I was never in like a ha- house of people where all we were doing was just lying, doing speed for days, but I did, it, it affected me profoundly. Like I already have a high metabolism. I'm already very like highly energized and it just, it just took me, but I loved it. It, it, it was like the it was self-medication. It just made me feel so free and so in- alive again. Like so, All of the things that I was avoiding, I was numbing out. I was like, I just felt so present in the world. Oh, I'm so here. Yeah, this is epic. And, and then a year later, there was another class photo. And I, and I kept my class photos in a little book that I glued them into. And when I put the one next to the other and I saw the man I had become, I was this emaciated, shell like i had just i had just shrunk into myself and i just looked at that i went i'm not i'm never doing that again that was it i just i just stopped i was so scared when i saw that second photo
0: talk about divine intervention thank you divine
1: thank you for Mm. real and it's had a price like it's had a price i'm still paying um that I, i think in terms of my physiology and what i you know how how I my, how my body is for this lifetime. There are things that, yeah, my teeth is one. Like I have real big challenges with my teeth. I've always had challenges since I was a little kid. But I do think that smoking speed really accelerated the challenges. And uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it is what it is. It's my it's humbling. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So is it around that age that you? Discovered the internet. I'm kind of making calculations in my head, and it would make sense that like ICQ, MSN was around at that time. I would love to know mm-hmm. what you remember yeah. about first getting into the internet and social media and take us on a journey of hmm. we yeah. are already free and you starting to share your words and your poetry and your medicine that way. And also, by the way, Secret Life of Nathan, I came across you on Twitter last night as I was preparing for the interview, and you have almost a million followers on twitter so take us all the way there oh
1: wow that is a big story feel free at any point to like raise hand or jump in if if there's something that because that's a lot um but i'm happy to to go into it so uh, i got my my friend my best friend growing up in our little village uh which had electricity by the time i was you know by the time i remember life uh and his dad worked at a tech company worked at vodacom which is one of the three big Cell phone companies in South Africa. And so he had a computer from very young. And immediately I was like, hmm, I like this. And I love computer games. So I was on Sega and the first PlayStation. And like I was just so, so hooked on all of that. And from before even Windows, I think I was using DOS, like, and I was working out how to use computers. And so I, I really I think someone said to me that it's part of an Aquarian aspect where we, like technology is something that can be very attractive or or we can be very good at. And for me, that's certainly the case. It's, I I love it. It's, I have to be very wary of, I can't install computer games anymore. If I, if I do, I can only if I know that I can do like a two to three week disappearance into like it's, I find it so engaging. So I I don't really do that anymore because it's just, I have other things that I have priorities. Um, But so, so that was kind of the beginning, and then and then porn, honestly, like as soon as we got little dial up internet, it was like downloading going on i r c. chat and trading porn pictures with and it was like at the age of twelve, thirteen years old, and now I know the average age that kids are exposed to porn is I think nine, which is. Like, horrific to think. Like, I just, wow. God, don't do it, please. Um, mm-hmm. and that had a big effect on me. That took me years of unraveling to to learn what it was that I was doing to myself. What it was I was doing to to the energetics of life through through this consumption of people in this way of sexuality in this way. But but at that time, I was just, you know, I would I remember sitting and waiting for the image to load. Like it would be, load line by line and be like, oh, yes. there's a nipple. Like and it's just loading. And I, <laughs> so that was that was a big attraction was learning how to use the internet so I could get a hold of porn and getting on chats chat uh, i r c chat I think it was um chat rooms and and then myspace as soon as it came out and and I was playing music from the age of around fifteen and writing songs from around that age so was that's the amazing piece is that concurrently with me kind of like numbing and destroying myself and, and hurting people i was also still the open connected loving vibrant person that i authentically am and so these songs that were coming out was all about that kind of stuff and ah oh man I, I wrote some terrible songs back then <laughs> really bad <laughs> uh which is normal that's uh, to be expected uh, there's there's actually a beautiful uh, Monologue that I listened to by Ira Glass, which I've listened to quite a lot. That's on. It's on. Someone put it on YouTube. It's like two and a half minutes long, and it's got the text of what he's saying. And he basically talks about the creative process. you know, you're creative because you have good taste. That's what makes you a very creative person. You have good taste, and so because you have good taste, when you first start creating something, you're like, "This is kind of shit. Like this isn't really good," because you have good taste. You know that. And he said that's where most people give up but you have to go through that you have to just create and create and create and create and create and you eventually your taste and your skill will start to come closer to each other and anyway i just love that story so uh so i was writing songs and i was writing some poems and i was just kind of navigating the whole life thing and and i always wanted to be a musician i was like i'm a, you know that would be awesome but i didn't have the faith for it i i played shows my dad is also Um, I come from a very musical lineage. That's one of the beautiful gifts of my lineage is that my mother is a poet and a a wordsmith herself. And my father is a profoundly beautiful songwriter and one of the best guitar makers in the world, actually, um, objectively. (laughs) Uh, And so I grew up surrounded by all these musicians visiting and these cool people baking songs. And, and obviously I was in love with lyrics. So, so that was always what I wanted to do, but I was too scared. And it was only when I was 28 Saturn returns that I, and I had started my work at around 24, 25, I Vipassana and started to like shift my relationship. And after Vipassana, cause of that sexual, like the intensity of that experience, I came out of that and I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. And then immediately got in bed with, with a friend of mine and had the such a bad, it was like just all the intensity came back. I was like, no, no, no. Okay. No. And I decided, and I took a vow of celibacy at the age of like twenty five or whatever it was, and uh, and I and I didn't I didn't have and this is, kind of sounds funny when I tell it because you're like oh well so what but I didn't have any sexual interactions with anyone at all for six months, which at that time for me was an extreme shift like very it felt like a huge deal. And I didn't actually have sex with anyone for three and a half years in total. So in my mid 20s, from my mid to my late 20s, I just, I was like, I just can't, I just need to do this on my own terms. I need to slow this down. I need to like work this out. And so at some point in that journey, I returned to South Africa I'd been bouncing back and forth between South Africa, the UK and California and having all these wild experiences of, of meeting these, my teachers, friends and teachers, people who shone the light into me in very uncomfortable ways and, and necessary ways. And then I returned to South Africa and bumped into an old old friend of mine one of my first friends when i was very young our parents were friends and he in the interim had become or was a rising star in the south african music scene and is still one of the top musicians in the country and what's crazy about him this is the beauty of life is that my whole life because we were born three weeks apart i'm three weeks older than him and we were pretty good friends when we were very young and then we kind of grew apart, but he always was the shining one. I would always look at him. He was always so cool and everyone liked him and he fitted into all the different cliques and he just got on with everyone and he did so well. And he, he just, I was like, how's he doing that? How's he, how's he getting life? <laughs> I was just like, don't get it that way. And, uh, and then there he was. And, and a few years before he'd come to me and said hey can we play music together and we played some songs I was like this guy isn't very good Like, because he wasn't he was a beginner <laughs> and then now I returned to South Africa and he's like playing the biggest stages you can play in South Africa and he's just killing it like people love him he's massively famous I'm hearing him on the radio everywhere I see his posters everywhere and I'm just like being confronted by this shining one shining the light into my darkness of oh, why haven't I done what I want to do with my life and so at that point I, I bumped into him at a at an event somewhere and and he's like yeah everything's awesome his name's jeremy loops by the way if anyone wants to look him up um and and he's a lovely dude as as we all are we're lovely everyone's people are lovely and uh and i struggled so much with it i was so upset that he like oh this is so painful and so i committed to to music at the age of 28 i was like i'm gonna do it and uh a month and a half later my neck went into spasm for the first time and has been on and off going into spasm ever since (laughs) and uh -hmm. and it's on the right side and it's yeah it's so much male lineage stuff but anyway I'm, i'm working through it and it's a lot better now than it was but that journey was important i was a professional musician for almost 10 years i was in london at times i i I was part of the formation of a, a group of a collaboration of friends called the Lyrical Nomads which included Sam Garrett and Roman and Nio and Thomas James Smith and a few others who joined and and actually they're all doing phenomenally well musically now um especially Nio Roman and Sam Garrett and and I miss them so much I haven't seen them in years but I'm going to see them this year it's happening intention is set and anyway yes. at some point I, I just couldn't I was living in London and my body was just so sore and I wasn't like feeling that eni- and I just like I need to go back to South Africa I need to reconnect to to, light, to nature and to being that person I was that that yeah I want to get back in the water which I still haven't really done which is funny but um but yeah I then fell apart I just fell apart completely I had a very successful Patreon page um I had uh, at one time i was one of the top 100 musicians on patreon i was it was flowing it was going so well my patrons loved me i was we were engaged and i just couldn't maintain the output the creative output i just couldn't keep showing up because i was had, I hadn't gone deep i hadn't died yet i hadn't gone <laughs> deep enough and and to to jump into the story around the twitter thing so that's when i first committed to music so 2011 i made the commitment i'm going to play music somehow this guy found me on Twitter. He started, I had like 300 followers on Twitter. Um, if Twitter even existed then anyway, from whenever Twitter existed and I had a few hundred followers and, and he got on my mailing list and I was just this little dude, nobody knew about. And I was just writing my newsletters once in a while. And he would just respond to pretty much everyone really kindly with really nice insights, not asking for anything, just completely like there and he was in and which is such a nice dude like one of my first sort of fans in a way and and eventually I clicked through the signature after you know a few months I clicked the signature in his in his in his email and he had over a million followers on Twitter and I was like dude who are you and what the hell's going on like how do you have what what's happening and he said well I actually run a business I'm in the states and I run a business where I help creators and creatives and people just in general to to increase their followings on Twitter by using this technique called follow unfollow, where we set up these algorithms that, you know, we follow lots of people and then we unfollow the ones who don't follow back. And there's this whole thing that it's automated. And, and he said, you know, if you want to use it, I'd give it to you for free. Like, I just want to help you. So, you know, let me know. And I thought, I was like, this feels weird somehow. There's something not right about this, like this, and he's like, well, you could, if you want, just try it for a few weeks, and if it doesn't have an effect, then or you don't like it, then just stop. There's no. So I was like, okay, let's do it. And within a few weeks, I had you know hundreds and hundreds of followers starting to grow, and the the response I was getting from the people who were engaging was, thank you so much for following me. I would never have found your music otherwise. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. And so I kept kept doing it. I kept doing it for, I don't know, a few years till it got up to around a million followers. And I just eventually was like, this just isn't feeling right. And I'm not engaging and it's just not flowing. So I stopped. And then at some point I used like a, another automated thing to unfollow every like I needed to start over. And so, so yeah, that that's that story. And and again, I I reached this point. I'd moved back to South Africa. I'd met my partner. Carly, who is uh, my life partner, and we were beginning that relationship and I was burning out. I just couldn't, I couldn't get back into creating consciousness. I just couldn't make it happen. And I was so frustrated with myself and I felt so bad. I felt like such a failure, such a like a, such a fuck up, basically. Like I've got all this beauty, and I and I'm not using it. So I, I was like, okay, I'll release another album. So I raised some funds through a crowd a crowdfunding campaign on Patreon, and then I didn't fulfill my promises. I didn't send the rewards. I I mean, I really did, like it's Bad. Like it just felt so bad. And the worse it got, the 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 deeper I was in the shit. And um, and yeah, I just had a dark night of the soul. I burnt out. I I was suicidal ideation. Just. Just did not want to be in life and so through that over time i knew i wanted to heal i wanted to get well and i didn't want to and even my family who's like not at all pro um medication generally although i'm not a, you know all good if it helps go for it but my these close people were like dude maybe you need to get on antidepressants like it's kind of scary, like it's worrying and the more research I did about antidepressants, I was like, that doesn't seem like it's going to help me at all. Like that seems like I'm just going to get, it's going to be actually worse in the long run. And I kept coming up and I'd worked with plant medicines in 2010 briefly, like ayahuasca. I'd had three different ceremonies with ayahuasca. Um, I'd sat with combo once or no, actually twice. Uh, and then I walked away from all of it. I'd done some breath work and I just was like, nah, I'm, move away from all of that. And, uh, and I, through the research, I was like, okay, mushrooms, like I want to sit with sacred mushrooms. That feels it was calling me. It had called me. I felt it calling me for the first time since I was a teenager playing with them as for fun. Um, and, and I, so I found a therapist and I started seeing her and she was, she was secretly working with, Plant medicines because she would lose her license if that was discovered here in South Africa, um, which is ridiculous. But she it was her she felt it was her moral obligation. So I began working with the plant medicines, and and you know had the journey of healing. is like yes, everything feels better, and then oh my god, I fucked it all up again. It was all chaos, and nothing's ever going to get better. And then okay, no, take another step, take another step, get up one more time, and then and slowly, slowly forming a morning practice, taking a bit better care of myself, just like. Just keep showing up when I can, and just and allow that to to move and move and move, and and so that eventually led to to this this unfolding of the the lockdowns, which was like this huge thing that I actually ignored at first, uh, and I could ignore because Kylie and I, uh, her, her she her family has a farm just outside of Cape Town, so as soon as the lockdown started, we just went back to the farm where we'd been living already, and. That's where I met my dog, Sasa. Um, and so we were there with Sasa, with the dogs. Everything was beautiful and just like pretty mellow. And I wanted to talk. At first, I just ignored it because I've seen it happen so many times where they're like, the swine flu or this thing. And oh no, you need to do the shots because everyone's going to die. And I've always just been like, eh, I, that stuff doesn't work. <laughs> like I, I know I've been through that journey of trying out mainstream medicine and seeing how it's just a fast generally. I'm generalizing, but uh in general. And then... And then I was like, no, people are really taking this seriously. Like, People are thinking this is actually a thing where you have to get an injection or you're a bad person or you're going to kill your grandmother or they're not talking at all about immune systems or about... Any of the stuff that to me seems self evident. I, I don't feel, I'm not scared in the slightest. I know that I'm good. I get sick. I'm happy. Like, I trust my immune system. Anyway, so I started posting little things around, oh, have you noticed that it's only like people already beyond like 85 plus in Italy who are dying? And like, yes, that's sad, but like, should we talk about that? And it was just so polarizing and so like, oh, you're, you're how dare you? And people arguing in the comments. I was like, oh, I'm not going to do this. This sucks. Like, I don't, I'm not interested in this. Did you get of- censored? I didn't know. It was still before the censoring really kicked off big time. Um, And so I left it. And then, but I kept feeling this bubbling of like, no, I have something to say here. And it feels important. It feels truthful to me. And I started writing for the first time in my life. I started writing something I really love, long form spoken word poetry, because at that time I really had moved away from playing music as much and and playing music still kind of hurts. My back still hurts if I play a lot of music. Um, so I started instead just writing these and I, need, I had a lot to say. And I think the second or third poem I wrote was We Are Already Free. And it went kind of, it was the first thing I've ever written, which is funny, that went viral <laughs> and it was about what was happening. I'd be happy to share it with you as well, but I'm also happy for more questions. I'll stop there. And that's what brought us to We Are Already Free, mm-hmm. at least the beginning.
0: If you feel called to share it, I welcome that. And I would love to know more about where what the impetus for that spoken word poem was and what mm. the experience of it going viral was and what that unfolded for you.
1: <laughs> well, in my ignorance, I didn't put my name on the video. I just uploaded it to my, I think, Instagram. And then it's people started sharing it and they started downloading it and sharing it everywhere else. And very quickly, people didn't know who I was. (laughs) Who's this guy doing this awesome poem? And and so I think many people out there have enjoyed that poem and still don't know who I am. Um, So from that, I, I mean, I went. I started a Telegram channel which has just over two thousand people in it, and those two thousand people arrived within the space of like a month because it was being shared in Australia a lot. Uh, I guess because of the how locked, how strict the lockdowns were there. It was uh, So it got over there. And I just kept writing the long form poems. But what I struggled with and still struggle with is consistency. So it's been something that kind of comes and goes. And I have so many poems that I've written that I haven't shared yet. So also what happened concurrently while this was all going down is that I think near the beginning of the lockdowns, when we were first on the farm, I made a decision to move into a different career because I felt like music was actually killing me. Like I couldn't do it any. It's like it hurts me physically. Uh, it so feels like so much effort to make money out of it. I don't feel like I can fulfill it in the way that I was for a while. It just I don't have that same juiciness around around it and around selling it and selling albums and doing album releases and I, I just just didn't feel like i could do it anymore and and something needed to change and through my own healing with breath work and plant medicines etc i just felt like i'd love to help people to and and actually the piece that had always been missing in the music for me was that people would come to a show and I, i played as much as possible house concerts so people shows in people's homes that's where i really just felt the vibe like the juiciness in south africa in South Africa, we say "chis." It's like this, the 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 vibrant, oh, that like yes, let's do this. And people would cry and laugh, and we'd connect, and all the boundaries would dissolve. And it's like wow, into the soup of being together. And then they'd go back to their everyday lives. And I would see how it didn't really make a long-standing Im- impact that I could see in in a way. Although I think it did. I know that it did for those who were listening to the songs regularly. It helped many people. But I saw that there was another piece in there. And what I now would call that piece is integration and uh, consistency and habits. And like, okay, now you've had the expansion. You've had the transformational experience. What, what do you do? How, how, do you, how are you chopping wood and carrying water? What is the next thing that you do? And I always felt like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if someone could come to a show and then, then I could say, hey, if you want this feel, if you want whatever this insight you've had is, if you want to now use that insight in your life, I can help with that and so i always had that feeling not only that but when i started working with one of my one of my deepest teachers paul in london in 2010 and then again in 2013 within a few sessions he said to me and it was he was doing like counseling breathwork tarot dream reading he was just come this beautiful container of transformation and he only worked through word of mouth and i and i met him through you know through someone who had knew him through someone etc and within a few sessions, he said, I just want you to know, Nathan, that this is, you could do this work, that this work is your work. Like, you, you know, so, and I ignored it completely. <laughs> I just went, all the other, no, I'm a professional musician. I'm going to do that. And, uh, and so finally I surrendered and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to allow myself to go into this new way of being, this breath work and, and coaching and facilitation and all these different things. And it's been, so that was all happening during the lockdowns. I was educating myself and studying and, and, and coming through to this point where I'm at now. And I've completely forgotten what question you asked. Uh, but yeah, that's, that, 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 was, I, that transformation is the shift. I've I had to let go of the identity of Nathan, the musician, and allow mm. myself to be just Nathan who I am. Uh, and through who I am,
0: mm. I
1: serve other people's transformation. And, and the best thing I can do is be really real and that's that's my gift in the world
0: one of the things you said is you feel like consistency is a missing piece for you what do you mean by that and what would it mean to what do you think it unlocks that you're missing because i have a feeling it's not real so i want to kind (laughs) of play in that with you
1: (laughs) um so when i say that i mean so for example having a consistent creative practice so that would be sitting down on a maybe daily basis and writing whatever comes out and just letting it happen because when i do whenever i sit down to write or pretty much something beautiful happens and i and i really enjoy it and it brings me a lot of joy but the resistance i feel to do it is is quite massive and So I've and one of the things I've noticed as I've become more consistent in my morning practice, so my breath work, my stretches, my kettlebells, my ice bath, as I become more consistent in those practices, my whole rest of my life expands. And funnily enough, I just saw your Twitter, your old Twitter, the 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 breakfast, what was it? Breakfast criminals. Yeah, you say that, and I've been trying to think of the term to describe this to people, but and I've been like, if you win the morning, you win the day, and and you said it perfectly I think you said uh how did you say do you remember how you start your days
0: how you start your life
1: yeah how you start your day is like how you live your life I think you said and that was like the most accurate That's right. yeah and I and because I heard a quote some years ago which was how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives and that that hit me so deep I was like that's exactly it I can't wait for some other day to live my life this is the only one I have and then the deeper realization that i had was how i spend my morning is generally how i i spend my day that like the first, when i wake up that is the moment i have the most power in my entire day and therefore in my entire life what am i going to what do i what is true for me now what is necessary for me now what do i do now and then i'm then i'm in power um so so consistency for me is honoring Honoring life by choosing to show up for it on a daily basis. (laughs) If that makes
0: sense? I feel like showing up for life is a creative practice. It doesn't need to be a contained, there needs to be an output. What if the output Mm -hmm. is just a way of being or a conversation or a thought that's not written down or documented with your name on it?
1: yes i agree I agree with you and i am um, funnily enough i I've had the urge recently to try smoking weed like marijuana, because when i do uh, and i and I haven't consistently since I was nineteen twenty years old and i'm now thirty eight because what it does for me, I get very scared because it shows me all the busyness that I'm running all the time. And so I have had this urge for a while now. I'm actually growing a plant right now, uh, which is awesome. And I'm hoping that, that it's a female. I don't know yet, but I'm hoping it's a lady. And, and then I will start (laughs) to practice a bit with this medicine because I feel like I need support from a powerful feminine teacher uh, to help me to actually drop into the moment and just be like, what's now? instead of what should be now, or what should I do, what should I have done, or like, okay, what's now? What's actually right now? What do I feel like doing? I don't think I give myself Mm -hmm. enough of that.
0: Speaking of powerful feminine teachers, I was browsing through your podcast, and I noticed that you surround yourself, you magnetize these really powerful women who are really strongly in their feminine. And you've had several women who particularly openly talk about wild birth and free birth and reframing the pregnancy and motherhood experience, what yeah. about this kind of energy is magnetizing to you?
1: Mm. I love that you've asked that question because I was just speaking about this today with my partner, with Carly, and we were discussing how most of the guests on my podcast are these these women, these powerful women. and. And we were both saying, "It's like I'd love to have more men on the podcast. And so this is one of the threads that I wanted to, to connect in. And I'm so grateful you asked because, and I'd love to hear your reflections. And I'm fully happy if you have a different take on it. Uh, but what I felt like is that because I was so scared of my dad as a kid, and I was so scared of, the, of what I perceived masculinity to be and patriarchy and like the male dominated culture that I was born into. I actually really leaned away from masculinity and I found comfort and safety in the feminine. And in some ways, not in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways I became parasitic. I became vampiric because I couldn't energize, I couldn't resource myself internally. And so how that showed up in my life was that I've generally been supported by women financially. Um, first, when my mo- when I was a teenager, I was like, in such a victim state, my mom was giving me money for a while, and all I was doing was just drinking it away and just living in London and just doing nothing and feeling terrible about life and just treat, mistreating myself and others. And then, and then around, even the Patreon—I think most of the people who supported me on Patreon, the majority was like sort of middle-aged women, like motherly women. Uh, who really connected with what I was doing. And so by the same token, Carly is the primary breadwinner in our family at this point and has been since we met. Um, and so I've, I've witnessed and I'm witnessing, and I'm, it's, it's even still a bit hard to talk about because I feel a bit embarrassed about it because I'm this, I am a, a beautiful, vibrant man and I have the capacity to be a massive uh, magnet for all kinds of abundance. And yet it has been historically the opposite. I've actually been very needy and that is shifting and changing and it is in a process of transformation right now. And so I guess in some ways, maybe that's why I've connected more. I felt safer with women generally in my life. And also I have felt Mm. my mom abandoned me at some point for a period of time. And so there's this sense of, find reassurance in the feminine like you know are you gonna are you gonna leave me and so I also just really enjoy empowered powerful women I just it's I've just and and powerful men like I enjoy and so what I'm enjoying now is like I'm joining I'm part of a men's circle and I have been now for five or six months and that's been massive for me like I just feel so that giving me such a good juicy male energy that has been very helpful And so I'm enjoying stepping more into my power as a man, and I guess it's just I've historically followed, found more women I've enjoyed on Instagram, and and seventy percent of my followers on Instagram are women, and in fact seventy percent I think of users on Instagram are women. So. But that is shifting and that is shifting. And I'm enjoying Mm -hmm. getting more of the masculine balance in and actually seeking men out more for advice and for reflections and be like, hey, brothers, I'm struggling with this aspect. And then it's a different kind of interaction. It's a bit more like dude like where's your warrior like what the f- like you know what are you what is this and there's this nice like oh fuck i'm in the circle of men and i'm i'm acting a little like a victim here and they're all like looking at me it's it's a really nice feeling to be in in that mm-hmm. kind of energy um so, so yeah that's the brief story around around the mm-hmm. women and i and honestly yeah i'm just so grateful to the women who have been on my podcast and I will continue shining a light on the beautiful empowered feminine because I just think it's what's gonna help us to balance out what is currently very imbalanced in society. So that's also Mm -hmm. a part, the light part of it is that I see the power and the beauty of embodied feminine feminine energy and uh, I enjoy um, facilitating that.
0: Thank you for your honesty and I do have reflections. I have a myriad of (laughs) reflections on that. My read on you having all these powerful women on your podcast was, um, actually that I see you building your family on these new, on these new pillars, on these new values of freedom, of true freedom, not just freedom and being barefoot and naked, but like, how can I provide an experience of freedom to myself, to my partner, to my child in this process? And it feels like those conversations are planting very powerful seeds for the expansion of your family whenever that's meant to be. And, you know, it's interesting you use the word parasitic. And I feel like that's a story that plays into an old paradigm of money being the top resource on our planet when in reality it's not. Our energy is the primary resource. And the value that we place on money can take away from us acknowledging the power of our energy. So when you allow that story to be your truth of you were parasitic and women were giving you money, that means I'm not enough of the masculine. Mm. That just doesn't feel true because they were there because they were getting something profound from you. And that exchange was consensual and everybody was benefit from it, benefiting from it. And the fact that they were giving you money and you were giving them energy, art, creativity, beauty, and activating something in them doesn't mean anything. Well, if it means anything, mm. it means that you just have a gift with with art. And how beautiful is that? Yeah. And I don't see that as parasitic. So I feel like there's an invitation for that reframe. And yet, yes, acknowledging the power you get and the remembering you get from being in men's circles. And yet what I've already picked up on you from the way that when you invited me on your podcast, the structure and the organization and all the tech things that were in that, I was blown away. I've been on many podcasts. I've never seen somebody be that organized and technical. So what I see in you is a balance of like, yes, this like technical masculine container holding and then feminine, which is, the, your vulnerability your honesty your willingness to go there and explore your emotions so all the things you're talking about about the balance of masculine and feminine i already see that in you i don't feel like there's anything missing <laughs> and with that i feel your desire to which of you've shared in our previous conversation of like deeply nourish and take care of your lady financially and provide this abundance of things you're going to build on your land and the sauna and all the things how beautiful is that and that's already unfolding
1: yeah Thank you. You are the voice of the me I, I am stepping into. And um, that's the, the big lesson for me right now is every time I fall into that old story, like I sat with Combo for the fifth time a few weeks ago, and it was a woman who held the circle, a beautiful woman named Sarah, who's actually a guest on this pod on my podcast as well. Um, well that's anyway, it'll come out soon, but, uh, she did exactly what you've just done. So thank you so much. Um, but I was so scared because I've had such intense experiences with combo as anyone who sat with combo has. It's a very intense experience. And I, I've been, I'd been fasting all day. And so I came to her and I actually had a calling to sit because my friends were sitting in the morning and that one was full. So I was going to sit in the middle of the day, but I just felt like I wanted to sit there and be with them and support them. I just, it just came so strong. So I sent them a message the night before. I was like, I don't know if this is okay, but I would just love to be there in support for the morning. And then I'll sit for my own in the afternoon. And they said, yeah, that's cool. And, And I sat and I just felt so good in the space. I just sat and I just held, I just was there being in the space, holding a, like a pillar. I just felt like a pillar of presence and contentment and joy and just, and I could offer that and it felt great. And then for my session, I started getting nervous and I was talking to her a little bit and like, you know, I'm a bit like what I'm worried. I'm a bit lightheaded. And, and she didn't, she just looked at me and she's like, brother, you're a warrior. You got it. It's you got it like a hundred percent. And, and she was absolutely right. Like my, out of any experience I had with combo, I sat, and every time the medicine came more intensely, I just said, "Yes, thank you. Come in, come. I'm in. Come more. I'm here." And it just, I actually, in phys- actually physically, emotionally, mentally enjoyed, really enjoyed like eighty-five to ninety percent of that experience, which has not been my experience with combo before. So, again, thank you for the reflection, and I am humbly grateful to be stepping into this being, be, being this Nathan. And, uh, and yeah, just thank you for the reflection.
0: Yes, thank you. Come in. What if that's how we approached everything that unfolds yeah. in our <laughs> lives, in our businesses, in our bank accounts? Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Come in. Sure. Yes. We can sort this oh. out together.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. And you're and also just to honor, it's one of the tendencies I've noticed about myself is that I I tend to focus on the lack on where I'm not enough and where it isn't we're like the the taker, the this, the that. And at the same time, yes, absolutely. The women I've had on my podcast, I have on my podcast because I think they are the leaders that I need and that the people I want to share this with need right now to embody and model a better way of being, literally a better way of being, that birth is powerful and beautiful and that money is flowing like energy and energy is money and that we can actually live a life that is fantastic right now. And that's the entire intention around we are already free is to, I keep thinking of the story of Michelangelo and I think I told you the story when you were on my podcast. I can't remember, I've told it to a few people recently so I can't remember who, but it's basically when People asked Michelangelo, the master creator, how did you carve David? He's so perfect. How did you carve the sculpture that is so perfect? And his reply was simply, I just took everything away that wasn't David. And when David was all that was left, it was finished. It's like that's, it's so simple. It's so straightforward. We are already free is that all we, all I have to do is remember to let go of the parts that no longer serve or that are no longer me or that aren't me or that are, and just be already free. I'm already it. There's nowhere else to go. It's like the story of getting somewhere that is in its way, the enlightenment trap was what I was discussing, a book that one of my previous guests has written, this idea that we have to get somewhere and then it'll all be whatever it's meant to be. Mm. And so, yeah, thank you. It is, And it is honoring, I think, meeting Carly and loving her so much, so much that I was willing to get into my own shadow and look at my own shit in in a relational way, whereas I'd been doing it all alone before. And just how, yeah, this desire. I have a vision that I will share. It is a precious vision to me. It is probably the most precious vision I've ever had. And it was my first five gram journey with mushrooms I had grown called natal super strength or psilocybe natalensis and carly was my sitter my partner was my sitter and i was really struggling in the entry in entry i was i was looping because i had this all that i wanted to do was get up and play guitar and sing and i was like no i meant to be lying here having this i meant to be going inward and you know i don't want to distract myself but I kept looping into trying to reach my guitar and then no, 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 lying back. And Kylie eventually said, Nathan, would you like to play music? You can. Pl- I'll turn the, this music off. Like, you know, you can play music. And I said, yeah, I actually do want to do that. <laughs> and she's like, okay. And I sat up. Ah shit. And I sat up and she was there was a fire in the fireplace and we had a couch with, with mattresses on the floor in front of it. And the, the couch and the mattresses were covered in blankets and cushions. So it looked like this big cushy throne of comfort. And I was lying on my little bed next to that. And so I sat up and and there was me and then diagonally facing the fire. And Carly was sitting on this throne of blankets and pillows and cushions, also diagonally facing me and the fire. And around her were at that time our four dogs. And when I looked at her, I just saw this queen, this goddess enthroned and surrounded by her, her familiars and just the most abundant, juicy, just gorgeous experience of just like what the fuck this is my life what the fuck and i just sang her love songs i just made up songs and just sang to her of just how much i loved her and i Mm. think that's been such a massive inspiration to become the man i am become the man that i am practicing being every day because i just want to live that vision as much as i possibly can
0: Mm. (laughs) That is so beautiful. I love how it took that releasing the resistance of "but I should should look this way, the healing should look this way, my path should look this way, a real man looks this way," and mm-hmm. then like release all of that and follow the impulse. And your woman supporting you in that, and all the love that poured through that. Ah, oh, that is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Thank you. It's oh, Nathan. I feel efficient. like
0: there's so many other stories <laughs> and threads we can go to. Um, I, I hope. I'm planting a seed that we do this in person one day soon. I have a very special connection with the land you're on. I actually got engaged in Namibia and I got married in South Africa and my dog is an African dog. And Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly why there's all these threads pulling me onto that sacred land, but it is a big part of my lifetime. And uh, perhaps that's where I will meet you in person and we'll do a cold plunge and Maybe sit with sacred mushrooms and kiss the land.
1: Mm, I love that. If we didn't even talk about Africa. It was uh, so we have so many things to talk about. If there's time, I don't know how the time is. I've lost track entirely. But may I share that poem? We are already free. It is. I would love to share it.
0: I would. That sounds like an absolutely beautiful way to bring this all together. Yes, please.
1: Okay. So the poem kind of tells itself because, and just remember that this came about at a time when when the dictates were coming hard and fast about what we had to do to be good people in society. And I, yeah, so the first line, I've actually changed the first line a little bit to be more, anyway, I'll say it like I wrote it then and we can just see how it lands. Trust in the way it came through. If you believe that you can vaccinate yourself to health or consume your way to wealth, if you think nature's a fool because you're not a part of the pool of life in all its branches, then I sincerely wish you blessings. And I think you're taking chances. Though I would never dictate how you choose to feel great, I'd only ask the same weight for my perceptions and the actions I choose to take. Imagine if I told you that, for the good of all, you could no longer eat a takeout, drink Coca-Cola, or consume fear. Sorry, I mean media, globally owned by five corporations, but perhaps let's save that for a future explanation. Imagine if I said that the science was in, living a life of joy, natural food and movement was the solution, and that you'd no longer be allowed to spend your days inside your house on your couch wrapped in fear, but you'd have to come outside, sit around the fire, make love, music, laughter and tears, give your time to serve earth and your relations for all your years. How would you feel if I dictated your state from my external place? It wouldn't work, would it? Because it's your body, your choice. Now, the same folk who say it's okay to poison the well. Have you heard of glyphosate? Look it up. It is living hell. Those same people say that they only care for getting back to normal and your health when they sit on the boards of the corporations selling medications that increases their wealth. Hidden in their words is a grain of truth. This society seeks to homogenize you, to normalize the way life comes through until you are nothing more than a resource, consumable, disposable, broken like a wild horse, saddled, bridled with no conceivable recourse, drained, debrained, your energy a devoured force until it's too late and you say, I wish I had bucked sooner, for my children are the next course. So here's an invitation from the heart of love in action. Take a breath and let it go. Feel your gut reaction. Step outside with bare feet. Begin recalibration. Be a rebel. Share a hug. Remember you're in heaven. And if all that is not enough then please stop blaming those of us, the millions hidden under all that noise and fluff, we who electrify our lives with truth beyond the lies. Healthy people are not responsible for dis-ease. That's not how nature works. So let us go. We are already free.
0: Yes. Have you thought about making this a song?
1: Um, no, I actually haven't, funnily enough.
0: Nathan. Okay, okay. So I've got to share this with you. In 2020, I've always had the dream of expressing my voice through the medicine of song, but I never had the musical ability or so I told myself. And then in 2020, in April, in the middle of lockdown in New York City, I had a mushroom experience and a spoken word poem flowed through me, which is going to be coming out as a song called The One. And um, it came out as a spoken word, but then I was given the further vision that it's meant to be a song. So I worked with a producer and it's going to be put, it has been put over music to really activate the further frequencies of the heart and land even deeper. And with this message of we are already free and the passion and the clarity you have behind it—it it makes so much sense that there it'll be put over music and put on Spotify. It's going to reach so many people.
1: Hmm. I'd be so. This is an interesting one for me because it's so long. I mean, I think it was about it's about two and a half minutes, and so to put that into song, it's going to get way longer as well. And what I what what does come up for me is that I could and should and will record a nice version of it and just upload the audio at least a spoken word do a spoken word single just to put it more accessible for people exactly and if there is a calling to do a song i do not have a calling to do it as a song right now it would be a very different song i would have to condense and extract and really like um, refine it i think but
0: and to clarify when i say a song i mean just the spoken word over music
1: Oh got you. Oh cool, cool. Okay, that's a whole different piece. No, that would be rad. I've never Funny you mentioned that though. Now that is an interesting connection. My dear friend James who lives just down the road from me, from me and is one of my favorite people in the world is also one of the best drummers I have ever met and is has been saying, "Dude, I want to put beats underneath your spoken word poems. Let's let's like sit in the forest and do a live yes. recording." Yes. So, you've just reignited that for me. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yes. One thing that I recently learned from Sirius and that, um, is that when you sit under a big old tree, it holds, I might butcher the explanation of this, but there's a frequency that old trees hold. And mm-hmm. if you record anything within the range of it, like sitting at the root of it, um, it could be a video, it could be an audio, it doesn't matter. There are frequencies that get captured from the wisdom of that tree. That we cannot perceive consciously, but that mm. get embedded. So when you said record in a forest, I could just pick up all of the medicine and all of the wisdom of all the trees you're going to be surrounded mm. by. Oh my gosh, Nathan, please do that. That is that that is meant to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I'm committing to doing it. Let it be heard right now that that is going to happen. It's it's happening.
0: Done. Wow. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share before we wrap?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, this has been such an enjoyable experience. I am replete. I am content. Thank you so much.
0: Mm -hmm. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.